I don't know if I could have asked for a better song to lead into this portion of our service. I'm the branch, you are the vine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. It's gonna be the, the focus of the, the next few moments this morning is, is teaching and learning and pursuing God. And I've invited this man that I've gotten the pleasure of getting to know over the last few months to come up and answer a few questions about this. So, Josh, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us who you are a little bit. Yeah, my name's Josh, and I'm married to Stephanie, and we have four kids. We usually sit in the back corner over there. And uh, yeah, I've been, I call myself a Christian my whole life. I accepted Jesus at a young age, but I would say just the last few years where I've, I would say I'd be truly following Christ. Good. So obviously there's many reasons to believe in, in Jesus as, as Lord and as God, but for you, what is the biggest reason to believe in Jesus? Well, to start out, I would just simply say that um, just recognizing that I'm a lost, broken, sinful person in a sinful world and that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And if I was, I'll expand on that a little bit as um, I think for the longest time, uh, I had a pretty shallow view of God and who God was, and that led me to not recognizing how sinful I was and my sinful nature. And then through circumstances, or um, I don't want to share too much, but in my testimony I shared quite a bit, just different situations and that have come, come up in my life that's really questioned what I believe and why, why I believe it. Mm. So, yeah, come back to your question. I, it, those situations... Um, really set me on a path to figure out what I believe and I come to know Christ and who he is and just that he, yeah, he is our creator. He was there when the world began, that he, uh, the world was created through him, for him and since the fall of man, he's, the, he's God's promise, the seed from Genesis 3.15 and just to getting to know that, re reading through the Bible and understanding that he's the fulfillment of the covenants and the promise through, um, through Noah, Abraham, Moses, mm -hmm. uh, David. And yeah, it, it's taken getting to know that and getting to know him and then, you know, even just studying, studying God's word, the New Testament and, and realizing and just, uh, I know when you, when you spoke here and candidated here and you talked about the inerrancy of God's word and just, I had to come to a point where I finally grasp and realize that, that, you know, this, the Bible is true. You can look at other historical books and too, and they, they recognize that there was a man named Jesus and he walked this earth and, you know, he was fully God, he was fully man, and he came and died for our sins. So, it, once I realized that and started recognizing my sinful behavior on a deeper level. Now, I would say I believe in Jesus because that is where, that is where I find my comfort, my peace because of the hope that we have in him and I can fully put my trust in him. Mm -hmm. Amen. What have you learned recently about the need as a disciple to be a constant learner? Yeah, I definitely am constantly 
learning. Um, and it seems like, I know you mentioned this at that uh, class Sunday night, but it seems like the more you learn, the more you want to learn, but the more you learn, you realize how little you know is where, <laughs> where I'm kind of at. That so, is absolutely right. <laughs> it, it is amazing, though, because the more, more you learn, the more you realize you don't know, and it's just this big snowball effect where you just want to keep, keep learning and keep studying. <clears throat> An example is that I've joked with some guys before, too, reading through a book of the Bible, and then I underline some stuff. And then a month or two later, I'm reading through that book of the Bible again, and then I'm just underlining in between the places that I underlined last time <laughs> as I learned different things. Yeah. So there's definitely a, a need and a want to learn more. And then things, though, that I've learned or that have helped me learn is just that, a, um, uh, well, humility is one thing, and just staying humble and always reading God's word with an open mind and seeing how that applies to me and then whether I'm learning from other people as well that humility is huge just to yeah never be too proud or to think too good to to learn something new and along with uh learning I found I shared a little bit this morning in Sunday school just there's almost three three steps I found for myself for learning um it seems like it's one thing it's easy to read God's word and then have something in your mind, uh, learn something new, and I have it in my mind. But I found out last year helping with Sunday school or teaching Sunday school, it's a whole other thing to learn something and then to relay that to somebody. Then that's a whole other part of learning. And then the mm -hmm. third thing here too, which came to light to me again, is something you think is simple, but just as you learn stuff or teach stuff, but then the next part is to actually live it out and how to learn how to live what you're reading. Mm -hmm. So kind of those three Three things for learning. Yeah. So you kind of alluded to it uh, a little bit already, but then what have you learned recently about the need as a disciple to be a teacher as well and not just a learner? Yeah. The, the, I don't know if I'd call it, I don't know if it's a need for me, but more of a want, I guess. As I, as I learn, I just want to share with people around me and I want to share what I've learned. And yeah, from... From that, I, I was thinking about this a little bit this week too, how teaching and learning kind of goes hand in hand. As I learn something, mm -hmm. I want to share that with somebody. But, but as I share that with somebody, this is where the humility comes in too, as I never know if it's going to be a teaching moment for me or if it's going to be more of a learning moment for me. So I love, mm -hmm. I love sharing, but in that, in that moment, I, like before I do it, I don't know if it's going to be if I'm actually teaching somebody something or they, they might already know it and then it's, it sparks a conversation and it turns into a learning moment for me as well, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So in what areas then have you been teaching and learning recently? I mean, obviously you've talked about reading the Bible yourself, but in what areas have you been teaching and learning? I guess the, this year I've found I wanted to really focus on just... Uh, my family, and that's most important, is just teaching at home and learning with the kids and with Steph. That's, that's where my focus wants to be right, right now. And along with that, um, still in my Bible reading as I come across stuff that I'm learning, and then I'm doing that sharing with different guys, different guys in the community from back in Rhineland where we're from, or whether uh, texting. They probably have maybe six or eight people who I text randomly just to share with and then that helps me yeah. learn as well 
Um, so there's that way. And then, then also we've, we've started a bit of a small group or Bible study with some young couples. And just, uh, we, I want to focus on, and Steph and I, we want to focus on just practicality with raising the kids and teaching the kids. And we have other couples we want to do that with as well. And I don't know if I would call myself a teacher there, but it's that same idea as um, we just get together and we can, yeah, share our thoughts and hopefully learn and grow together. Okay. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for being willing to come up and answer those questions. Yep, you bet. (laughs) Well, as we saw from the questions that I asked Josh and that he answered uh, so well this morning. This morning we're talking, as we continue in our series, about discipleship and what discipleship is. We've gone through the aspects of, um, now I'm blanking on them, I might have to ask Darren, oh man, because we're pursuing God. Loving, loving God, we started with loving God. I was so ready for this and I didn't put it in my notes and that was a mistake. <laughs> Because now the pressure's on and now I'm forgetting. Okay, we started with loving God and Darren talked very well and, and talked about these services and how we love God and we show that we love God through, through singing and through things like communion and through listening to his word as it's preached. But more than that, we show that we love God through how we live our lives every single day. And then we talked about loving people, about being there for one another and Last week, Darren concluded his sermon by, by committing to all of you that if you need help, that he is there for you. And I want to say as well that if you need help, if you need someone to be there, I am willing to be there for you. My wife and I are willing to be there for you. And I hope that as you guys have thought about this, that this week, that you have come to the same conclusion as well. <clears throat> And so this morning, as we talk about this aspect of discipleship now, we've talked about loving God, we've talked about loving people. Today we're talking about pursuing God. And next week, Darren is going to talk about pursuing people. And there's multiple aspects to this, as you saw from the questions that I just asked Josh. But with the rest of the time this morning, I want to look into the perfect Word of God to see what God has to tell us about teaching and learning and how we ought to to do it. Before diving in, I want to share a quote with you that I came across during some of my readings the last few weeks that I think will help set us up for where we're going this morning. And the quote says this, those who do not know the condition of their own souls are in no position to shepherd the souls of others. Those who do not know the condition of their own souls are in no position to shepherd the souls of others. Now, when we think of the word shepherd in the New Testament, okay, the word shepherd in Greek is poimen, which is where we get our English word for pastor. Now, that word refers specifically to the office of pastor that Darren and I hold within this church family, but more broadly, it also refers to guiding someone or something. Therefore, all of us as disciples that strive to make disciples are called to shepherd to some capacity. Therefore, we need to recognize the condition of our own souls if we are to shepherd anyone else. 
Therefore, we need to start this morning with the understanding of Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 24, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us in this room have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so I want to preface this message this morning very clearly with a reminder that every single one of us in this room are sinners. And we have not been perfect at this. We have not been perfect at learning. We have not been perfect at teaching. And we should heed warnings in the scriptures like those given to the church in Laodicea in Revelation who were reprimanded for being lukewarm, being neither hot nor cold. We need to take care to watch our lives every day and watch our actions so that we do not find ourselves all of a sudden one day being lukewarm in our pursuit of God. This is an area like all others that we need grace because there can never be enough of this. There can never be enough of a pursuit of God and a passing on what we learned to others. There is always more work to do, and yet the Lord is gracious to us when we fall short. We all need to be prepared to repent this morning, as we do every morning of our lives, and turn to Jesus in faith and ask for his daily bread. In fact, all of us did it already this morning. We sang, I depend on you for my daily bread. We need to be prepared to pick up our cross, deny our self-righteousness, or die to our self-righteousness, die to our perceived perfection, and be prepared to walk the Christian life. Be prepared to apply all of Christ to all of life. And so before I go any further, I want to remind us where our authority on this matter comes from. This, right here. This infallible, perfect, authoritative word of God. And so this book tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And moving on here, Paul then gives a charge to Timothy, the preacher, the elder of the church. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the word of God. This is the authority that we turn to to tell us how we ought to live our lives. And so when it comes to teaching and pursuing God, 
what does the scriptures have to tell us about this topic? What about it do we need to understand and turn towards this morning? Because the reality is, much of an understanding, a depth of understanding on this issue has been lost in the last century within the North American evangelical church. What I've found over and over again as I've talked with other pastors and talked with members of other congregations is that the sentiment generally is that it is the pastor's job, it is the pastor's and the elder's job to teach spiritual things. I mean, after all, in this passage, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. And it is true that it is mine and Darren's and the elder's responsibility, according to the scriptures, to teach you. But as we will see this morning, it is more than just our responsibility to teach spiritual things. But you see, even once, even if we have that sorted out, even if we recognize that it's not just the pastor's and the elder's job to teach spiritual things, then when it comes to other things that seemingly have nothing to do with God, things like math or science or history, we think that it's other people's responsibility. And we think that it's other people's responsibility to teach us and even to teach our children. This morning, we're going to look at passages that give commands and clear guidance as to how we should go about this endeavor of pursuing God through teaching and through learning. And so, we're going to look at that together. First, as a New Testament church, as the new covenant people of God, let's look at the parting command from our Lord himself regarding this passage that we call the Great Commission in Matthew 19, verses 19, or Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Jesus tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus tells us to go. He tells us to baptize. And this is an essential piece, but for talking about another time. Our focus, though, this morning is on the words that Jesus says concerning teaching. He says that in order to make disciples, which is the controlling verb in this sentence, okay, the verb in the sentence is make disciples. Then there are three adverbs which tell us how to do the verb, okay? They are go, they are baptize, and they are teach. In order to make disciples, we must go, we must baptize, and we must teach. And so three things from this passage regarding teaching. First, in order to make disciples, as I've already said, we must teach. Second, if we're going to teach a disciple, we must teach all. There is no skirting around issues or taking an attitude of, that's not important. Okay, the entire revelation of God, the entire scriptures is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, and for training in righteousness. We ought to teach all of it. And so the, the third piece demands that question that I've just stated, all of what? Well, the whole revelation of God. But more importantly, Jesus says here, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And I want you to notice something. Jesus does not say, teach them to know all that I have commanded them. He says, teach them to observe 
all that I have commanded them. See, it's one thing for me to know that murder is wrong, okay? And yet, if I were to stand before a judge and tell the judge, Your Honor, I know that murder is wrong. I know that. But I killed that guy anyways. But because I know it's wrong, I don't think I should be held accountable for it. That would never hold up in court. It would never hold up. If you were to lie to your, your parents or to a friend, and they were to call you out on it and go, I know, I know lying is wrong. Even though I, but because I know it's wrong, even though I did it, doesn't, because I did it, it's not wrong, because I know it's wrong. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. We know so many things are wrong from the scriptures. We know that hating someone is wrong. We know that adultery is wrong. We know that pornography is wrong. We know that stealing is wrong. We know that worshiping an idol is wrong. And yet, I don't want to make assumptions about our church this morning, but the statistics tell us that in the churches around us today, these sins are not uncommon. In fact, some of them are prevalent. And when we are called to be a righteous and holy people, and we find sin more or less running rampant through our churches, we have to ask ourselves the question, why is that? Why is it that sin is so prevalent? And I believe that it's because of a lack of this, a lack of teaching. A lack of teaching not just to know, but to observe. Because a command is not an option. It's not a question that we think about and get back on. It's a command. All these things that I said and so many more that we see in the scriptures, we know are wrong. But have we been taught how to avoid them? Have we been taught why to avoid them? Because so often we dabble in sins or we quantify things. We say it's not that bad. We get as close to the line of sin as we can. It's not sin yet. 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 And all of a sudden we're over here and we look back and the, and the line has not moved. We find ourselves in sin. We find ourselves in sin or on the direct path to sin and yet we tell ourselves it's not that bad yet. And I hate it because I do this myself. Go, ah, oh, it's not that bad. Everybody else does it. Especially people in the church. People in the church do it. I saw, this. I saw Darren doing this the other day. It can't be that bad. Sorry, Darren. <laughs> and yet, it might not be sin, but it's on the direct path to sin. I don't have this in, in, the, in the slides this morning, but in, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us to cast off every sin and every weight that so encumbers us so that we can run the race set before us. We're told not to just set aside sin, but set aside weights, set aside things that keep us from running the race. As Darren said a few short weeks ago, in so many ways, we have succumbed to the lie of cheap grace. Following Jesus is costly. And yet, the cost is worth it. The cost is worth it. And we need to be intentional about it. 
I tell the youth this all the time. This book right here is the handbook to life. Okay? I tried to explain this to the youth a few weeks ago and they had no idea what I was talking about. But if you go to a bookstore, have any of you guys ever bought one of those books? They're yellow books that are something something for dummies. You know what I'm talking about? Electrical for dummies or computers for dummies. Okay? This book is life for dummies. Okay? All of us are sinners. All of us do not know the way that we are supposed to live. And this book tells us how. It tells us how to observe. As we saw in 2 Timothy 3, which we're going to come back to in a second, and in 2 Timothy 3, it says that this book is profitable for teaching and for training in righteousness, that the people of God may be complete. As disciples, we have a duty to teach and to learn. Before I move on, I want to come back to this passage because there's something that we missed in it when we first went through it. And without a little bit of an understanding of Greek and historical context, we'll miss something important. Here in this verse, Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Okay? You wouldn't know it from your English translation, but as you can see up on the screen there, this word, training, in the Greek is the Greek word, Paideia. Okay? Paideia. Now, some of you might be thinking that I'm about to plug the class that I do every other Sunday, more, every other Sunday evening at 7 o'clock. That's going to be happening again on Sunday evening next week. But I'm not going to do that. Okay? I'm not going to plug that right now. But I want to talk about the importance of this word. It is a word that communicates more than just training. In Ephesians chapter 6, which we're going to to look at in a moment, this word is translated as instruction. And it is more than that, too. In fact, we do not really have an English word that perfectly defines this Greek term. However, if I was to assign an English word to the understanding of this Greek word, the word would be culture. You see, this word paideia was a concept that was well known and understood in the ancient Greek world around the time of Jesus. Paideia was culture. It was education. It was the way of life that the Greeks and the Romans lived. It was taught to children from a young age so that they too could be part of the Greek paideia. And as one scholar puts it, this word goes far beyond the scope and sequence of formal education instruction, or training. In the ancient world, the paideia was all-encompassing and involved nothing less than the enculturation and indoctrination of future citizens. The paideia extends well past the the limits of an established curriculum or program. It describes an entire way of life. Now, 2 Timothy 3 tells us that the scriptures are sufficient and profitable for learning this, for learning paideia, for learning culture. But we must ask the question, are we told somewhere that we're supposed to teach it, that we're supposed to learn it? Well, in Ephesians chapter 6, which I said that we'll go to in a moment, in verses 1 to 4, Paul is in the middle of giving instructions to Christian households when he says this, 
He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction. That's the Greek word paideia again. Paideia of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and paideia of the Lord. These people that Paul is writing to would have gotten this letter and would have been reading this and gotten to this point and gone, bring them up in the discipline and paideia of, of the Lord. Okay, I know the, I know the Greek paideia. I know the Roman paideia. I've learned it from since I was first able to talk. But now you're telling me, Paul, that there is a Christian paideia? There's a Christian culture, a Christian way of life that I need to pass on? It's exactly what Paul is saying. This passage calls specifically fathers to this task, and I do believe that it is the call of God on fathers to take responsibility in this area, to take primary responsibility, but this does apply to all of us. If you are a mature believer in this room this morning, or at the very least you are further ahead in the race to somebody else in this room, We have a duty to be part of teaching the paideia of God to those behind us. The adults in the room who have just come to faith and the children in the room who are growing up in every way. Friends, we are an intergenerational church. And I say that not only because it is one of our values, but because as I look out at you this morning, I see families whose children are sitting in the room with them. In fact, I see families whose children's 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 children are in this room this morning. Four generations of one family all in the room together this morning. And that is the grace and mercy of God. And yet, if that is going to continue to happen in this world that we live in today, something might have to change. Because where I come from on the West Coast, this is not normal. This is not normal in the slightest. You're lucky to see two generations of a family in church together. Maybe three. But never four. Sometimes that's because one family's at one church and one family's at another church. But often it's because one, one generation is in church And one generation is not. When I first moved here to Swift Current, I was told that Swift Current is, give or take, typically five to ten years behind everywhere else when it comes to trends. And you know what? That's not the worst thing when it comes to this. Because if that is the case, we have a storm coming for us. And it is time to be intentional and get this ship ready to sail through the storm. The next generation of children in this room and the next generation of believers need to be taught the paideia of God. They need to be taught the full revelation of God. And the reality is, I fear that some of us in this room 
the adults and the mature believers are hearing me say this and are saying to themselves, I am not prepared for this. I have no idea how to teach. I have no idea how to disciple. I have no idea how to guide. Because in the five months that I've been here, I have had conversations. I have seen the fear in the eyes of parents when it's been suggested that they could teach it to their, their kids, that they could be a teacher. I have had kids and youth come up to me with life problems and ask me what I think. I said, sure, I'll, I'll tell you what I think. It's good, you're coming to ask me questions. Well, first of all, have you, have you asked your parents? What did your parents have to say about it? I said, yeah, I asked my parents. Okay, well, what do they say? They said, ask you. And I want to be clear. In my position, I'm happy to have conversations with people. I'm happy to have conversations with youth. But we need to be able to disciple. Darren and I and the elders cannot teach 200 of you on our own. Discipleship takes every aspect of life. It takes all of life. And I think I have a little bit more time than Darren does. Darren has three kids, but I can't disciple all of you. And so, if someone comes to you and asks you a question, as best as you can, try not to send them off to someone else. Tell them, I will find an answer for you. I will go ask someone else. They've come to you because they trust you. They come to you because they want to know what you believe. They want to know that you are capable of leading them and capable of guiding them. Friends, this is serious. We are in a battle against the powers and principalities of this world that is trying to destroy God's kingdom, his people, and his culture. And we, as part of his kingdom, cannot stand by and watch it happen. We need to be intentional. Now, you might be thinking, how important is this really? Do I really need to be that involved in the training of my children and the training of others in this church family? And not just the paideia that is taught on Sunday mornings or Friday nights at youth or whatever night of the week you, you might have a Bible study, but every aspect of education, training and instruction in our lives, every moment of every life, every moment of our days, is it that necessary? And where do I start? So before I move on, I want to answer those questions. First, how important is it? Well, in Ephesians 6 here, Paul quotes the Old Testament when he says, honor your father and mother. He says this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And this is quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm going to read for you a good chunk of Deuteronomy chapter 6 here. It says, this is Moses speaking to the Israelites. He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, okay, people of God, the church, hear therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, 
as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, take care, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. For those of you that don't know, this book, Deuteronomy, that we just read from, the title of the book literally means the second law. Okay, This is Moses giving the law to the Israelites one last time before they go in to take the promised land. He tells them to teach these laws diligently to your children. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise, teach them every moment of every day, every opportunity that comes up. Show your children the law of God and that it applies and that it is good for all of life. Show your fellow disciples that the law of God applies and that it is good for all of life. So now that we've read this, restate the question. How important is it? Well, God says that this law needs to be followed so that it will go well with us. It seems serious. Well, it is because two chapters later, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses says this to the people. He says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good homes and live in them and your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, that your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord. You forget the Lord your God. So beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall perish. This is an important warning. And I want to point out that God does not say that the wealth and the good houses are bad. He's sending them into the land because he wants them to enjoy the land flowing with milk and honey. He wants them to enjoy the good houses. He wants them to enjoy the wealth and use it to build his kingdom. But the warning is, take care. Because when you gather up all this good stuff, the, the temptation is going to be that we will say, we do not need God. We have everything that we need. This is why the constant teaching of godly paideia is so important. Because we live in a time when we have wealth and we have homes, we have abundance. 
And yet, in many ways, we are in the danger of forgetting God because of it. We need to be so careful when we have everything. When God has blessed us and given us abundance, we need to be careful that we do not forget where it came from. So how serious is this? How serious is it that we need to be trained in the all-encompassing paideia of God? Let's look at what happens next in the history of Israel. Moses gives them the law in Deuteronomy. Joshua takes the helm. Okay, Joshua was Moses' protege. Moses dies. Joshua takes the helm of the people of Israel. So we move from Deuteronomy into the book of Joshua. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He leads the Israelites into Canaan. They ransack the place. They take over Jericho. They take down Jerusalem. They take over all of the land. They're setting up Ebenezers, okay? They're setting up stones of remembrance to remind them about God's faithfulness so that when someone passes by and someone doesn't know what God did, okay, a child can look at their dad and say, Dad, what's that pile of rocks for over there? So that the dad can have an opportunity to look at his son and say, that's to remind us of God's faithfulness. Let me tell you about God's faithfulness. Let me tell you about what God did for my father. He took them out of Egypt. There was all these plagues and to the point that Pharaoh had to let us go. He parted the Red Sea. And even when we were in the wilderness for 40 years, God provided bread from heaven. You didn't see it, son, but I saw it. I tasted it. God provided for us. He is faithful. He parted the Jordan River so that we could cross, go across into Canaan. I watched as the walls of Jericho came down. God was faithful to us. He gave us what we need. Stay faithful to him, my son. Stay faithful to him, and he will stay faithful to us. They do all of this, and yet what happens next? The next book, okay? Judges chapter 2, verses 6 to 12, it says this. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his own inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnathares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Now here comes the important part. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Okay, All the generation of Joshua died. And there arose another generation after them. One generation. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. What happened? What happened? It says right here that they served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. And yet the next generation rose up and they forgot the Lord. So how important is it that we pass on this paideia of God, this culture, this understanding, this knowledge of how to observe all that Christ has commanded us? This generation of Joshua, these parents, though they seemed to understand the paideia and lived it out faithfully in the sight of God, they knew it, they lived it out. And yet, 
Apparently, they failed at passing it on. They failed at discipling their kids. They failed at discipling the next generation. So that when the son passed by those rocks and said, hey dad, what's that? It's a pile of rocks. We put it there to remind us about God's faithfulness or something. Come on, let's go to the temple. We've got to sacrifice an animal. We've got to be faithful. The next generation forgot God. That's how serious this is. Friends, we live in a time where the culture around us has shaped the church instead of the church shaping the culture. We have allowed the paideia of North America shape the paideia of the church. We should not let that happen. God has given us this word. He has given us, he's told us how we ought to live. And it doesn't mean that we need to go out into the streets and tell people you need to follow God or else you're in trouble. What we see in the scriptures is as we follow God's paideia, as we live it out, God will be faithful and he will bring others into it. We don't need to go out and force it upon people. But as we live it out, more will come. In so many ways, we've become individualistic. We've become worried about our own salvation and our own salvation alone. And we have not taken the time to pass it on. What we do now will affect the next generation of believers. And if we are lazy and complacent with sins or weights that keep us from God, Romans 1 tells us that God will give us over to our sin. This is so vital. We need to be intentional about training one another, and especially the next generation, or we will lose them. I'm sure every single one of you in this room, every single one of you can think of people in your life that you grew up with in church or in youth group or worked at camp with who are far from God. And I want to be clear and recognize that apart from the grace of God, we cannot be saved. And so God has to call them. But I do believe that there is a need for us to do something. We, do, we can't just stand by and, and pray and hope that the people around us are going to be Christians. We need to teach the paideia of God. And so where do we start if we do not know where to start? Find someone to teach you. And if you cannot find anyone in this church that you were able to learn from, so anybody that has a time that's ahead of you to teach you, find a group of people that are frankly just as bad as it, at it as you are. Come together and push each other forward in it. Read the scriptures and push each other forward in the paideia of God. Friends, as I said, we're in a battle against the powers and principalities of this world. Find brothers and sisters to fight with. Men, find men to teach you how to be godly, godly men. And women, find godly women to teach you how to be godly women. And remember, this is more than just knowing how to be a godly person. It's about learning to be a godly person. 
Intentionality and accountability. Intentionality in study. Intentionality in life on life, walking together through the fires of the enemy as we build the paideia of God into this church, into this family, into this town, into this province, into this country, and to the ends of the earth. Find people to walk with. Men, not all of you are going to be elders, but the standard for elders in 1 Timothy 3, verses, 25, or verses 2 to 5, is a standard that you can strive for together with other men. Women in Titus 2, older women are entreated to teach the younger women in things that, frankly, only women can teach younger women how to do. In Titus 2, it tells older women to teach the younger women how to love their husbands. I'm sorry, I can tell you, young women, to love your husbands, but I don't have a husband, okay? I don't know how to walk that out. As pastors, Darren and I, we can preach. We can tell you what the word says. But when it comes to observing, you need people walking with you, showing you how. So men, you need to find other men. Women, you need to find other women. Young couples, find older couples. I'm encouraging all of you to find people. And if you have someone that you are learning from already, that's great. It's time for you to find someone that you can pass that, what you've learned on to. And if you have someone that you are teaching, it's time for you to find someone that can teach you. Now, children and youth in the room, I want you to pay attention to me for a moment. Because it seems like I've been talking to the adults for the whole time. But a lot of what I've said applies to you as well. And we as a church, as your family, want you to learn to love God. We want you to learn to love the God that we love. We want you to learn the paideia of God, and we want you to never stop loving it and living it. We have a responsibility to teach you. And many of you were held in your parents' arms on this very stage at one point and were dedicated to this church. And many of you in this room stood up as children and youth and maybe even adults in this room were held by their parents on this stage and made a promise to help raise them. And maybe not in these words, but the commitment was to help in raising in the paideia of God. So children, as you get older, children, talking to youth too. I know you don't like to be called children, but as you grow, as you learn, do not be afraid to pass on what you've learned to those behind you. If you are in grade five or you're in grade seven and you know how to love your siblings better than somebody else, then you are free to teach them. Teach them how to love their siblings. If you know how to read your Bible and how to structure your schedule with school and sports to be intentional about reading the word, then you can pass that on to somebody else who's still in school. And you know what? Even if you have the opportunity to look at an adult and say, I think the scriptures tell us that we're doing it wrong. You don't need to be afraid to do that too. Brothers and sisters, we must teach. 
We must learn. We must learn the paideia of God. We must learn what it means to follow and serve Jesus. We must because God's people into the next thousand generations depends on it. God has shown us grace and he has preserved this church. And his, but his grace and preserving should not have to be in spite of what we are doing or not doing. There is still work for us to do. It should be because we have learned how to observe and are teaching others how to observe. We have been given a command. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us, all of Christ, all of his word, all of his grace, all of his love, all of his law, the full paideia of God that stretches into every aspect of our lives. Teach all of it for all of our lives. And so to conclude this morning, if you still do not know where to start, like I said, find one person. And if you can't find one person, talk to someone who's running a Bible study. There are There aren't very many formal life groups that the church has put together, but there are plenty of Bible studies happening within this church. Talk to someone who's leading it. Ask if you can join them. Join a life group or seek to have supper with another couple or another family and study the word together and encourage each other. Be intentional in accountability. I love what what Josh said earlier when he's sitting up here and I asked him um, how he's been learning and how he's been teaching. He says he has a group of five or six guys that he texts back and forth with all the time. They're always talking, they're texting back and forth about what they're learning. I don't know if they are, but they might be texting each other about what they're struggling with that day, asking for prayer, keeping each other accountable. That's the kind of thing that we need to do. Follow each other as they follow Christ. Join the people in this room in the race that God has set for us. And I would encourage you parents, look for ways to do this at home. And fathers, I would encourage you to take the helm on this. Don't be afraid. If you don't know where to start, if you're having those same eyes that I've seen already in a few parents of absolute fear and having no idea where to start, that's what Darren and I are here for, to help shepherd you. I said that we can't disciple all of you, but that doesn't mean that you can't come and ask questions, that you can't come and seek help. If it means sitting down with every single one of you, at least for at some point over the next year or two years or three years, Darren and I will do it. Our doors might be closed when we're here during the week, but they're unlocked, okay? You can come talk to us at any time. So if you don't know where to start, Come talk to me. Go talk to Darren. Go talk to the elders in our church. Go and talk to the wise people within our church. Even though they're not formal elders within our church, there are godly women and there are godly men within this church that can help you walk this life. We have a mandate. We must fill the earth with disciples of Jesus. Let's accomplish this task together by the help of our Father in heaven as one body, 
striving towards the goal as we learn and teach the beautiful way of life that God has set before us in his word, pursuing God and pursuing the paideia of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your name is high above all others. You are holy, you are righteous, and worthy of our worship. We thank you for this church that you built, graciously using our hands. Thank you that you have preserved it as part of your kingdom. Father, as we go forward, may we seek to live the way that you intended us to in your paideia. Help us to be intentional with one another as we do this together. Give us each day what we need to live for you. Father, we are dependent on you for our daily bread. Help us to come to you every single day for that strength. Keep us from sins and weights that make us forget you and keep us from building your kingdom. Father, we want to build your kingdom alone. May our sight be fixed on that goal alone as we teach and learn and disciple one another. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. I want to invite the uh, worship team up and those that will be serving communion. This is a wonderful thing that we get to do as a church every first Sunday of the month is a time where we take the bread and the cup which represents our Lord Jesus Christ's body that was broken and the blood that was shed to save us from our sins. And though we come and we take small morsels, we take a small cup and a small piece of bread. This is a glorious feast of remembrance for what our God has done. The payment that he paid on the cross for our sins so that we can be made right with God. And so, if you are a disciple of Jesus this morning, I'd invite you, once the music is playing, to come and partake of it as a family. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 26 says, this is Paul writing, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, in light of what we just looked at, when it comes to pursuing God and the paideia of God, this is part of it. This is an Ebenezer in a way. This is a reminder to us as a church as we come up and partake of the bread and the cup to remind us of what God has done for us, to remind us of his faithfulness, the price that has been paid. And it is a glorious and wonderful thing to remember that we have been made right with God. And so Father, we thank you this morning for this communion and we thank you that we can partake of it as a family. Amen.
Amen. May you go through this week with your blessing, with God's blessing. Thank you so much. Have a great week.